0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God for our meditation this morning is today's Gospel from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. We'll hear again these words. A voice came from the clouds saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen, listen to him. This is the word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. For the past few weeks, my wife and I have been watching a show on Amazon Prime called Everest Beyond the Limit. It's a documentary from about 10 years ago about mountaineers who attempt to climb the world's tallest peak. The summit of Everest stands 29,029 feet above sea level, at right about the same altitude that jetliners today cruise. To say that climbing Everest is dangerous is a tremendous understatement. It's deadly to try to climb this mountain. Some of the dangers that you'll face are things like hypothermia and frostbite and loss of parts of your body because of that frostbite due to the incredibly low temperatures, there's also altitude sickness which happens when you have air that only has about a third of the oxygen that we have closer to sea level and so your brain begins to swell your lungs begin to swell and of course you can also die on Everest just by falling off of the mountain it's incredibly dangerous Just how dangerous is it? Well, currently there are about 300 bodies on Mount Everest. And they're still there because you can't move them down, it's too dangerous. They're there like freeze-dried mummies, and some of them are even used as waypoints to help people find their way up the mountain, turned by the guy with green boots. I'm not making that up. That's the truth. So the question that I'm constantly asking myself while I watch this fascinating show is, Why? If it's so incredibly dangerous, why do people try to climb that mountain? And why do they spend tens of thousands of dollars for the privilege and leave loved ones behind and spend all that time and energy and effort to do it? You know, I sit there thinking, well, they're not going up on that mountain because they've, they've got to deliver the serum. They've got to get the medicine through to people who desperately need it. And they're not going up there because there are a bunch of people there whose lives need to be saved. They're not going up there to accomplish some great good for humanity. Somebody asked an Everest climber, why climb Everest? And he answered, because it's there. That seems to be an answer that's, that's often given. I just can't figure it out. Now I can't judge hearts. But it seems to me that a lot of people who try to climb Everest are doing it because they want the glory of being able to say, I summited the world's highest mountain. In the portion of God's Word before us today, Jesus climbs not one, but two mountains, neither of which are anywhere near the altitude of Everest. He climbed the Mount of Transfiguration and also a mount called Calvary. He didn't climb them for personal glory. He didn't climb them just because they were there. Jesus climbed these mountains for us and for our salvation, to accomplish a great good for humanity. Today, God's Word presents to us a tale of two mountains. And my friends, it's a story that will bring peace and joy to our sin sick hearts. The events of our text happened eight days after Peter's famous confession of faith. Remember what he said? He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus predicted that he, the Christ, the Messiah, would be going to Jerusalem where he'd be handed over to his enemies, he would suffer, he would die at their hands, and he would rise on the three day. But before Jesus did any of that, before he climbed Mount Calvary, he had to climb another mountain and that's the Mount of Transfiguration. And on that mountain something truly spectacular happened. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, it would not have surprised Jesus' disciples that he was looking for a quiet place to get away for some prayer, and even a mountain to do that. He would would do something like that quite often. But this time, as Jesus was praying, something really remarkable happened. The appearance of their teacher changed dramatically. His clothes began to shine as bright as the noonday sun. You see, on that mountain, Jesus pulled back the veil a little bit. The veil of his divinity, which was covered over by his humanity, by his flesh and blood. You wouldn't look at him and think he was true God. He gave them a little glimpse of his glory as true God. And that's not the only amazing thing that happened on that mountain. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Two of the greats from Israel's history were there having a conversation with our Lord. Moses, the great lawgiver that we heard about in our first lesson, he was there talking with the one who came to redeem us from the curse of the law. And Elijah, that great preacher who faced and defeated the prophets of Baal, he was there talking to the one who came to face the devil and to destroy his wicked work. These men wrote and preached about the Messiah. They pointed forward to his coming. And now, now they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Their prophecies, in fact, the entire Old Testament, was about to be fulfilled. Soon the Messiah would go to Jerusalem, where, as Isaiah said, he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. You know, if you think about it, The circumstances in which they were having this conversation really didn't fit the conversation so well. I mean, they shone in glory while they talked about Jesus' humiliation, his shame, his suffering, and death. They sparkled with bright light while they discussed the day when God was going to cause the sun to stop shining as his own son suffered and died for the sins of the world. You know, a question that always comes to my mind when I read about the Transfiguration is how did Peter, James, and John recognize Moses and Elijah? It's not like they had encyclopedias with pictures in them. Honestly, we don't know. Somehow God gave them that information. What we do know is that they were dazzled by all this and they didn't want the experience to end. Peter, who often spoke up for the disciples, was the one who, of course, spoke up on this occasion. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, one of the things that makes us think this happened at night. Uh, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses. One one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. you ever had a moment like that, a moment that you just didn't want to end? Maybe it was when you looked into your loved one's eyes and said, I do. Maybe it was when you held your precious newborn little daughter in your arms for the very first time. Or maybe it was just a a more mundane happening in your life. For example, opening Christmas presents on Christmas Day with the kids around the tree, camping with dear friends, perhaps soaking up the sun on a beautiful tropical beach somewhere. And doesn't that sound just lovely? Peter didn't want this to end. And yet, he was so blown away by what he was seeing. He was so just thrown off that he started babbling. He, he wanted to stay there. He wanted to do some camping for a while. You know, sometimes in our desire to keep the good times rolling, we act a little bit like that. We take things a little too far. We so want the good times to keep rolling that we forget that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble and we forget about something he also said at that time Peter made his confession eight days earlier he said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me we sometimes think that what Peter well, I'm sorry what Paul and Barnabas preached about doesn't really apply to us in the book of Acts we read that they preach this we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God and so when trouble comes, we, we act surprised. We grumble and complain as if we were getting a raw deal. We behave as if we deserve better than that. My friends, we don't. In fact, the only thing that we deserve from a holy God is His everlasting anger and His never-ending justice and punishment and loneliness and pain in hell. But our God is so gracious to us Not only has he saved us through the blood of Jesus, but he also, in the midst of our lives in this broken world, gives us little glimpses of glory little glimpses of that glory that sustain us. He gives us moments when we can just sense His goodness and generosity, moments in life when it seems like everything is right with the world. It can be those moments that I described before, just times of joy with family and friends and loved ones. It can also be times of deep and profound meaning, your confirmation, your child's baptism. Perhaps a special service of celebration here in God's house at Easter or at Christmas time. Maybe it's a sermon that, that just hits you right between the eyes. Or perhaps the words of forgiveness spoken by a Christian friend that just lift a huge weight of guilt from your heart. Each one of these reminds us of the pardon and the peace that Jesus won for us at the cross and the eternal glory that belongs to us because he did. And that's finally what transfiguration is really all about. It's a little glimpse of glory, a preview of the peace and grandeur of heaven. And boy, it's something that those disciples needed when you consider what they were about to witness. And it's something that we need as well. Because, you see, Jesus left that glorious Mount of Transfiguration and he went to another mountain. And this one is not so glorious, at least at first glance. I'm talking about Mount... Calvary, And maybe I should explain that term. And by the way, it is Calvary. It's not cavalry. Those are horses. Don't get them confused. Calvary. Calvary is just the Latin equivalent of the Hebrew word Golgotha, which, as you know, means the place of the skull, or as some have said, Skull Hill. Now, truth be told, it wasn't really a mountain. Yes, Jerusalem itself is very high up in elevation, but this was really just a little hill, a little rocky outcropping, just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. It was an ugly place with an ugly name, Skull Hill, where the condemned cursed and cried out in agony, and where blood and shame both flowed freely. My friends, Jesus went to this mountain so that we can experience the other. He endured the shame so that we can have salvation. He went to Golgotha so that we can experience glory. He had to do this. No guts, no glory. Or maybe a better way to put it, no cross, no crown. You know, when we look at that mount called Calvary, we see, in a sense, a greater glory even than Jesus showed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus once prayed for this glory. He prayed to His Father, Father, glorify Your name. And then the Father answered Him from heaven and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. God glorified His saving name when He sent His one and only Son to Calvary's cross. Now. Nothing there at Golgotha appeared glorious, at least not at first glance. Not the sneering crowd or the cruel soldiers, not the mockery of the criminals to his right or to his left, not the the nails or the thorns, not the blood that flowed from his wedding wounds, not his body hanging there on that cross, limp in death, nor the dark and cold tomb in which they buried him. It all seems awful. And yet, my friends, look again. For it is truly glorious, because He endured the mockery, the insults, the cruelty for us. He received both the Roman nails and that crowny thorn willingly. The blood, the precious, priceless, saving blood that flowed from His holy wounds, flowed down onto you and to me, and it doesn't stain us, my friends, like blood usually does. No, this blood, the blood of the God-man, cleanses us from every sin. His broken body was sacrificed to save us. And my friends, you know about that tomb, that dark and cold tomb. Well, after three days, it lit up with the warmth and the light of an Easter dawn. Jesus did all of this for us. His sacrifice, His service, and His suffering achieved something truly glorious. The salvation of souls, the adoption of orphaned sinners, the remaking of a broken people. On that ugly and horrible hill that we call Golgotha, Jesus won the world's salvation. And my friends, that is truly beautiful, isn't it? How do we respond to that beauty? Well, with sacrifice and service and suffering of our own. We look into our wallets and our checkbooks and say, Christ sacrificed everything for me to save me. I am glad to sacrifice a generous portion, the first portion of what he has given me to honor his saving name and to make sure that the message of his love is shared around the world. We look at our lives and we say, you know, Jesus lived his entire life for me to win my salvation. I'm going to serve those around me. I'm going to take care of my family and friends and my neighbors. I'm going to make time for other people, even when that time is, frankly, in short supply. We look to the cross, and we say, Jesus suffered there for me, the innocent for the guilty. He did it to save me. And you know what? He didn't complain about it. He didn't grumble about it. He didn't try to fight back or take revenge. He suffered silently. I'm going to do the same. I won't lash out or seek revenge when I receive uh, mockery or insults because of the name of Jesus. Instead, I'm going to quietly pick up my cross and carry it for His glory. And my friends, while we sacrifice, while we serve, while we suffer in this broken world we can remember that little glimpse of glory on Mount Transfiguration. We can look forward to that eternal peace that Jesus won for us. We can long for that glory, which we know is going to be spectacular. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So again, to review, I cannot figure out for the life of me why people want to climb Everest. It just, honestly, it seems crazy. It seems like they have a death wish. My friends, thanks be to God that Jesus wished to die for us a desire that sent him up those mountains, a desire that put him on that little hill just outside Jerusalem so that we can spend all of eternity with him in the heavenly Jerusalem. Yes, all thanks and praise and honor and glory be to our Savior forever and ever. Amen.